If you're with us here, if you're our guest for the first time, one of the things that's really important to us, you probably walked through the door and you got a connection card, and uh, if you come each week, you either got this or you check in on the app. Uh, can we just take a couple seconds the, the, to do that? Let me say this. If you're our guest here, that's our way of being able to connect with you. It's our, our way of just knowing kind of who's here, being able to send you a thank you for coming uh, email and just invite uh, any questions or anything that you might have for us, that's uh, it's important to us. And when you do that, uh, when you fill out a connection card for the first time and you check that you're our first-time guest, we donate $10 to the community in your name. And so we, it's called the Gen 10. And uh, I don't know if we have a current graphic for the last month, but what do we have to date? So through the end of August, through the end of September, excuse me, we need one more month added. We've given about $1,100 to the community already, so it'll be a little bit more than that. You can see like Precious Life Shelter, the Youth Center, uh, different places inside, we did one month for hurricane victims. And so for us, this is just kind of our way of checking in. We, if you would take the time, I still have to check in, and so I'll give you about 30 seconds to do that. For those of you that call this home, of course, you probably do it on our app. That's easier. I hope that's faster since I'm doing it. Okay. That's never awkward when you get a note like that in church. All right, there's a place in there for you to put any prayer requests or things that you might have. Um, okay, so I'm not even going to touch it. All right, so if you're here, uh, just one announcement for today. Really, we have uh, Winter Wonderland coming up. If you've not heard of that, on December 2nd, uh, we have a city opportunity. The city of Los Alamitos trucks in literally tons of snow and sets up a, uh, a winter experience, a Christmas experience, if you will, for the church. And we have partnered with the city, and we're doing volunteer management for them. And so lots of organizations throughout the city volunteer and come and serve and do things. And so uh, you got probably information this week either via Realm, our communication system, or by eBlast. There's a link in there that, goes, uh, that, that uh, gives you a form you can fill out and, and choose places where you can serve. That goes directly to Yvette, who is our volunteer coordinator, who is gone this weekend. She was at the conference with us, and it was their anniversary this weekend. So if you get to see them, say happy anniversary to them. Um, and so this is coming up on December 2nd. So we're partnering with the city. We actually run volunteer management for them. And again, there's a link for you to go to and, and serve within the city. Choose places. You can work in the snow slide area. You can work in all kinds of places. Anyhow, as a church, we will be there. We love to serve our community. As a church, that's one of our values, that we just love the city that we're in, that God has placed us in, and that we serve this city with the idea that, that when the city is better, that we will be better. And that as we serve the city, that that is our place that God has placed us. I'm going to ask real quick if Evan, Evan Ronaldo, will you come up, please? Will you guys, uh, will you guys welcome Evan? You know Evan. Most of you know Evan. For the last two years, Evan has been full-time uh, since we went mobile, uh, since we went, left our property and came to the high school, and pretty much everything inside those two front doors all the way to the back of the stage. If it works, it's probably because Evan helped get it to work. And so, yeah. That's right. yeah. And a lot of the stuff outside, too. Um, but this is Evan's last week on staff. Evan actually leaves for Texas Thursday, Friday. Leaves for Texas Friday. His family has moved to Texas, and uh, kind of one by one, they're 
migrating out this way. And so I want to personally just say thank you to Evan. I know that we get to have lunch tomorrow, and I appreciate that. Um, again, uh, almost every headache of going mobile has landed in your job. And so there have been others. There have been a few that have not landed in the realm of technology, but most have landed. And you've handled it with grace and with poise, and you've raised up a team back there uh, that serve faithfully and do things. And uh, so thank you. And so I know you're going to Texas, uh, the great nation of Texas, where the best Cowboys football team ever is right now. I'm just saying. So enjoy that. And I have a microphone, so I get to say who the best, te the best team in football is. I'm just saying, okay? So can I pray for you, please? Yes, sir. God, I thank you for Evan. He has been a great partner in ministry. Lord, he has, uh, he has a staff role today here because he was an incredible volunteer. Because he, gave, he came and gave 10, 20, 30, 40 hours a week as a volunteer. That we could not stop but hire him. And we put him on part-time, God. He worked faithfully, Lord. And we brought him on full-time. And so, God, and as he engages in this next, uh, this next phase of his life, I know some big changes have taken place in the, the recent past. Uh, some that have been challenging. As he goes to join his family... In Texas, God, I pray that you would bless him and use him. May he find a church home where he gets to express himself like he does here. and He can play in the band or work in technology or drive them in new places. I pray that you would grow his business that he's been building. Um, God, thank you that he has had a, a platform here to learn and to grow and to build. God, may that continue. Uh, I pray that we will continue to be able to work together, uh, and I thank you for him. Lord, we love him as a church. Uh, I know you love him even more. God, will you guide his steps? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, man. Love you, bro. Thanks. All right, so we have, again, just kind of a, uh, an abnormal uh, half full, or, or if that, Sunday. So um, I'm just going to say, let, can you guys turn with me, please, to Hebrews 12? We're going to pick up in our King of Righteousness, King of Peace series. We've been in a series uh, through the book of Hebrews. If you're new to the series, if you're new to the Bible, in fact. Um, wow. So, all right, never bring your phone up here when you're teaching. Good note. So, so I'm going I'm to apologize up front. I flew out Tuesday. A team of 17 of us went up to a conference, and I have been speaking nonstop Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I flew home last night. I got in the door about in time to pray with my wife, play with the dog so they'd settle down, sit down for a minute. I have not unpacked. I did the rest of my notes on a plane. You know how relaxing a plane flight can be. <laughs> that plenty of space to work and to type. And, so, um, and how joyful LAX is, right? Which is why I live in Orange County, right? So... Uh, so we're about half staff today, about half the folks that we normally have in church, and so I am trying to fill in the pieces, and I have about, about 10 brain cells left, and they're all fighting for power right now, okay? So, yeah, well, that's because I haven't done anything yet, but thank you. I, <laughs> thanks for the faith. I appreciate it, all right? So uh, my phone has somehow, and I'm not going to say the word that wakes up my phone, but somehow that lady on my phone tried to just talk to me a minute ago. Things are just not going well yet. So we've been in this series. Thank God the series is about Jesus and not about me, right? So we're good there. The book of the Bible that we're in is Hebrews. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the, 
the New Testament, beginning with really the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then the letters that kind of constitute the bulk of the New Testament written to churches in the first century, bookended by the history of the church in Acts and a book written by one of the followers of Jesus called Revelation, proclaiming Christ, who is right now King of Kings, King of Righteousness, King of Peace, right? And this book, this one book called Hebrews, is written to a Jewish church, or a, a church, let me, let me say that differently, a Christian church of primarily Jewish converts. And so this is written to a church of, of folks who have been primarily Jewish. They were either Jewish by birth, Jewish by faith, Jewish by conversion. And in the first century, obviously, Judaism gives rise to, gives birth to Christianity. As Jesus comes and fulfills the promises of what we would call the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of our Bible, and then satisfies the needs of the gospel, which we'll talk about in just a minute, satisfies the requirements of the gospel, things that we've been talking about, fulfilling the Old Testament law and sacrifice covenants, and then, then saying, now listen, now I have come, now the kingdom of heaven is now, like it begins now, it's at hand, it's here. And Jesus gives birth to what we would just call the church. Those of us that have said, we follow Jesus. And so this letter written to this Jewish community, this Jewish church who follows Jesus, has really been this highlighting of how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, promises, covenant, sacrifices. And so it's used incredible imagery from the Old Testament, and uh, not just imagery, but real life situations, the things, how they worshiped, and how they all pointed to Jesus. And then last week, Pastor Matt gave us kind of a history through Hebrews 11. And so that's where we're going to pick up today. And I just want to give you as a main idea, uh, if you have our app, these notes are all on the slides. Uh, uh, the slides are all on the app. Whatever I just said, again, lots of brain cell fighting. Okay, so this is in our app. Jesus, our perfect example. So the main idea today is that Christians look to Jesus who endured suffering and pain in this world for us so that we might be encouraged to endure hardship for the sake of reaching the lost around us. So today we look to Jesus, our example, and we note how he suffered and endured hardship, how he did so that we might be reconciled to God, and how in turn, as followers of Jesus, and again, the word Christians, and I use that there, but the word Christians is often watered down, right? People will say they're Christians, and that really means they're not an atheist or a Buddhist, they live here, celebrate Christmas, and so they're a Christian. So I would say this, you cannot be a follower of Jesus and not understand that Jesus endured on our behalf and calls us to endure on the behalf of others. And so let's, let's start with that place. I'm going to pray one more time that God would speak, that I would not. Will you join me? Jesus, again, this is about you. You lived... Uh, you gave your life and endured in hardship and pain and suffering. You gave your life on a cross that we could come and cut, you would cover our sin, that we would stand blameless before God. You rose from the grave to be alive forever, that you would be alive, that you are king, that you are living right now, that you are who we worship, you are who we sing songs to, that you are who we serve, that you lead this church not me, not the elders. And Jesus, we ask that you would speak. This is your word, the Bible. 
written by your servants, superintended by you to be written to us. And so we would ask that you would speak, that I would fade somewhere into the background. God, forgive me for being just so tired and a little run down. But as Paul said, in my weakness, you are made strong. Jesus, speak. Let me fade into the back. And will you speak to us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says this, since we, since, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I, I want to pause there for a minute. That, that, that line, that first part of that verse is pushing backwards towards Hebrews 11. So last week, Pastor Matt was here, and, and he, he taught us, he worked through that, that history in the Old Testament talking about Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and, and how these faithful leaders lived this life of faith. And, and he really, he highlighted the idea that God made promises to men and women thousands of years ago who lived faithfully according to those promises, many of which, in fact, most of which never saw those promises come, come to be fully fulfilled in their own lifetimes, Abraham, you're going to be a father of nations. Through you, all the nations will be blessed. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, get one son. Really, one son to fulfill that promise. Not nations, yet. The promise about through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed is about Jesus coming through that lineage. He, he didn't get to see that. I will give you a land. I'll give you this land as an inheritance. And he lives there as a stranger in a foreign land until his death. So these men and women that came, that lived faithfully, lived according to the promises of God given to them, lived faithfully knowing that they may not see the fulfillment of it, that they may not see all the promises of God come true in their lifetime, and yet they continually got up and lived faithful lives. Now, they're not superheroes, and they're not faultless. They're not without sin and failure. Abraham, the father of faith often called, has, has epic failures in his life. As each leader does, as they get in, they enter this story. As we write about, as we read about them, as we enter their story, we watch. They're not perfect people. We're not perfect people. And so we resonate as we read these stories, but the outcome is that they are faithful people. That they continue to keep their eyes fixed on the promises of God. And so it says, therefore, because of them, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... So just trying to think through a summary of last week, I came up with this sentence for you. Hebrews 11, hearing the stories of faithful people who did not see all God's promises fulfilled in their lifetime reminds us that we are here for a purpose greater than our own fulfillment. Right, that we exist, you and I, that we are here not just for our fulfillment. Right, God doesn't exist just to make us happy. Right, that our faith is not just about heaven or about some gift to us, though it is a great gift to us, but we exist for a purpose greater than our own, greater than our own fulfillment. And Hebrews 11 is a litany of people who lived faithfully, pressed forward according to the promises of God, who did not see them all come true in their lifetimes. And it reminds us that God has made promises that God will be fulfilling, that God will handle. We may not see all of them come true in our lifetime but that we are called to live faithfully just as men and women have for millennia. Now, many of those promises came true as Jesus entered into human history. 
But yet we eagerly await that return where things are made right. We're not just, we are becoming reconciled to God, but where the entire earth and all of us, where we become with God. So even as we await promises, we remember that we persevere, that we endure, that we live, that we are faithful, anticipating a thing, a promise, a covenant, a series of promises that we may see some of in our lifetime, but maybe see, maybe we'll not see all. So starting back, verse 1 again. Therefore, and since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So he says, let us run with endurance. And so running in the first century, as you may have seen in movies, runners back then, early marathoners, Greek, Roman, they would run with very little on, if anything. Mostly men would run, and some would, take, would literally run naked. So there's a Sunday morning image for you, right? If they ran with anything, it was very little. And so they would run with very little on. The idea was that they would be unencumbered, that they would be able to run with nothing getting in their way, nothing to hold them back. Now, I'm not, I don't even know how that, if that's the right way to think that running naked is the best idea for that. So I'm, whatever it is, it was 2,000 years ago and probably not an understanding we have. But I can tell you this. So two years ago, a little over two years ago, uh, that's not true, a little over a year and a half ago, uh, we decided as a team that we were going to put together a team here that was going to run in the Long Beach Marathon or Half Marathon. And uh, since it was my brilliant idea, I said, okay, I'll commit to doing it, right? And we did so that we could fundraise for clean water in, in countries in Africa, in a country in Africa that I have some partnerships with in Zambia, Africa. And that we fundraised that year about $33,000 between our team. This year, a, a smaller team, I didn't run, so admit that, uh, a smaller team, we raised roughly 25000 So again, we've been pushing money. And let me just, as a, as a side note, $50 in Zambia, Africa through Team World Vision means a lifetime of clean water for a person. Just do some math there. And literally, there are hundreds and hundreds of people now that have clean water because we ran in a half marathon. Few did the full. Some walked. Um, but you go back, I'm not a runner. And, and I, I, in fact, I write this in, the, one of, in one of the chapters of my book. I write about how, for me, running has two things. When I played sports, I got in a lot of trouble. I got in a lot of trouble in everything I ever did. And in sports, they would often make me run a lap, right? And so my genius idea, again, brilliant, probably, uh, very astute, decided after going to five high schools in three years and still not graduating, that at 17 years old, I would join the Army. And in boot camp, again... I got to run a lot. Fort Bliss, Texas, which is just like this far north of hell, and so I got to run a ton in the West Texas desert. So when I hear running, I'm not happy about it. I think punishment, right? But I had committed to this. This was a team that we were going to do. It was for a good cause. I will do almost anything for the gospel, almost anything to help the folks down in sub-Saharan Africa. So I committed to this, and so as I set out, as any of you have ever done that, I hurt, right? I was, uh, I had just turned 47 when I began to train. I have bad knees, bad back, bad habits, bad decision to do this. Uh, but I began to hurt. I had shin splints. I had problems. I needed to change my diet. 
I had bad form. I needed to change the way I ran. I had to train. They literally started us off with interval training. You would run for two minutes, walk for a minute, run for two minutes, walk for a minute. Literally, to do 20 minutes of that took effort, right? We got to the place uh, a year ago, October, where uh, a youth pastor and I, uh, we ran side-by-side side a half marathon. We did 13.1 miles, right? Side-by-side, side, and at mile six, Scott blew his knee out, which was my excuse. He said, hey, we can quit, dude. Like, we can totally, right, like, right now is a good reason. And he manned up and made us both finish, and so we finished 13.1 miles with him having a blown-out knee and me in my head fighting every step. Like, we, why did we ever say we were going to do this, right? All the runners at the marathon had very light, unencumbering clothing. Matt, shorts I wore and, a, and, a, and a, like a running jersey, a running tank. I mean, very little. Good shoes. I mean, they provide all the water. You don't have to bring anything with you. Do all that. You wear as little as you can, as, as best you can, water-wicking garments that keep you cool. There's a way of going about this, and there's a training and an enduring that it requires to do something of any value. So for about 12 miles, I argued inside my head. We coached each other through his pain and my stupidity that we would get through it, and at about mile 12, we both knew we were going to make it. And right at about mile 12 and a half, we began to sprint to finish that race. And I beat Scott, but he's very fair, he's injured, so I, it's not. <laughs> but I still beat him. At the end of the day, I beat him, right? I win, whatever, right? When I crossed that finish line, there was a sense of achievement. Right, I was sharing the story this week. When I, when I set out to write a book, I, I, it was a great idea back here, and then you're doing it, and you want to quit. In the middle of your thinking, do I say anything here? Like, am I making any sense? Have everybody else said it better than I do? And then there comes this time where people tell you that, no, stay in it. Just do it. And this last week, I, my book was in the bookstore for this big conference. We get to share, get to plug the book, and, and, uh, and there's a sense of achievement, Right? Maybe you set out to save up money and you're going to make financial sacrifices so that you and your family or you on your own can go out and you can buy a home. And you sacrifice and you save and you pinch and when other people are going out or other people are going on vacation, you're like, you're trimming things back, you're sacrificing, you're training yourself, you're enduring through these things so that you can own a home. And then when you get those keys, I remember signing the deal funding and us getting the keys the first time. There's a sense of achievement. With all of that, here's what the author of Hebrews says. Verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's these ideas of there's a great cloud of witnesses around us even culminating now in the next verse in Christ himself. But there is a history, thousands of years of people who have set out to do this life of faith, that, have, that are set out to run this endurance race of following Jesus. And it says, so lay aside every weight, lay aside every sin, put aside all these things that may hold you back. And so just to give a little definition, the metaphor in Hebrews portrays faith as an endurance discipline where issues of pain, guilt, and shame weigh us down other issues also, and sin in our lives entangles and trips us up. So the idea is a long-distance endurance race. And the idea is that, that 
that the, ish, the issues of like pain and guilt and shame are weights that hold us back. Imagine if I were to have set out to run that race with like a heavy backpack on. Like that I were going to try and do that with weight, right? And I, again, I'm having flashbacks from boot camp. So, uh, and the sin, imagine like I tied both shoes together. I mean, like that's what he's talking about. Like when you run, you do it in such a way, you train, you endure, you press on, you endure these hardships, you, you persevere, you discipline yourself for this. And then when you would do that, of course you don't run with weights unless you're training for something that requires running with weights. That's different, right? There's some military application there. But then you also don't do things to trip yourself up. Like you set yourself up in a place to where you can run the best you can run. Verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So not only do we have and again, we, and the cloud of witnesses here, would have been those stories of faithful people in the Old Testament. Now, on the other side of that, 2,000 years later, we also have 2,000 years of church history. Not all good, uh, but many folks we can look backwards to. Some that are even before the East-West split or before the Catholic-Protestant split. Some that kind of we all share a legacy of, Benedict, St. Francis, people like that early leaders like Augustine, later leaders like Calvin and Luther, all the way up through Wesley and Moody and, and leaders today. And since, since we're surrounded by such this great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance, let us run with perseverance, let us run like a long-term plan. And laying aside everything that would hold us back, getting rid of everything that would trip us up, and looking to Jesus, the author and founder or perfecter of our faith, who it says, be, for, the, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorned the shame. And I, I think everybody has an understanding of what it would look like to die on a cross. It is violent and brutal. It was designed by a Roman emperor who was a master of torturing people. Literally, the word excruciating is from the Latin words excrucis, meaning from the cross. Something excruciating is like something from the cross. And it was the most shameful way to die. They would strip you naked, they would beat you, they would nail you to a cross, and they would hang you in the sun. And mockers would mock you and spit on you. And so it says, yeah, we have this great cloud of witnesses, but also look at Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, Jesus came and entered into human history. Jesus, God, who became flesh, entered into human history, put on flesh, lived this life, lived the life that you and I live, endured hardship, suffered loss, had a family, got hungry, got tired, endured this life, and then was betrayed by a close friend, falsely accused, falsely convicted, to the point of those who convicting him saying, I, I wash my hands of this. Like, I find no guilt in this man. And then beaten within, within an inch of a life, it says, marred beyond recognition. And then nailed to a cross where he would endure a, a, a time spent on the cross 
hanging by nails, literally, with enough in his legs. So really, when you die on a cross, literally what happens is you suffocate. It's like a carotid artery choke. For those of you in martial arts fan, it's like a carotid artery choke. But you're you're nailed there, so you will push up because the natural instinct inside of humanity is to breathe, is to live. And so you literally press down on the nails that hold your feet so you can breathe. What it's saying is fix your eyes on Jesus who did this for us. Fix your eyes on the author, God, and founder of our faith, Jesus, who endured not only this life, but a death that you and I honestly deserve, uh, that he did not. Right? As we all know, we are broken and sinful and do wrong things. And as God said, listen, uh, the wages of sin are death. Right? So we have... All, there's nobody sitting here who says, I've never done anything wrong. Uh, and, and first and foremost, me. And so I understand that I deserve death. And I understand that Jesus traded that for his. And that he would suffer on my behalf. And that he would suffer on your behalf. And that he would endure this. And it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him, which is you, me, We were the joy. We were the sense of accomplishment. We were the achievement that his eyes were fixed on. That he would endure that so that a strung out drug addict who can't stay out of jail could come to faith. I will never understand that. Because there were just better people to pick than me. Right? No, no, answer that. But you. So he says, consider this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by all these people, fix your eyes on Jesus who did all this for us. He says, now listen, I want you to run. I want you to run like your faith is a long-distance, enduring marathon. Verse 3 says this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the words training, endurance, and discipline are going to be used interchangeably. So let me kind of give a little definition to this. So we train or discipline ourselves in areas of life that require endurance. Training for a sport, saving for a financial goal, or studying for a degree or vocation. Our faith is of greater consequence and requires discipline for us to endure. Our faith is of greater consequence than our financial goals, our sports goals, our achievement goals, Our educational goals, our family goals, our faith is primary. And it requires discipline. A lot of people think, all I got to do is kind of like say this magic prayer, and and then I'm good, and that's it, and it's like nothing takes... No, this, this life is about far more. And so it says, consider those who have been considered faithful. Look back at the history of faithful people. Fix your eyes on Jesus who did the same for you. And then in turn, because of that, that you might be able to endure for the sake of others. This takes discipline. When I use the word that way, what you hear is it takes training, it takes endurance. Like we talk about martial arts are disciplines, right? But when we hear the word discipline coming up in the next verse, or in the next few verses... We tend to hear punishment, and it can mean something punitive, but it doesn't have to. So consider that for a minute. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, 
You have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, if you haven't died yet, you're still in this. Verse 5, and you, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or sons or daughters? Here's what he's saying. So listen, have you forgotten what it is that Jesus has called all of us to? And so I just grabbed some quick last words. So each author, as each author writes, whether it be Mark in the gospel, Matthew in the gospel, Luke and Acts, whoever is, you know, John, Luke and his gospel, whoever is capturing these words of Jesus, they all have some very similar sounding things. So Matthew 28, one of the most famous ones says this, and Jesus came to the disciples and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I want you to go, I want you to take what you know, I want you to take what you've seen. You've seen me alive, you've heard me teach, you watched me die, you put me in a tomb. Three days later, I rose from the game and he's been spending weeks with them now. Now I want you to take that message to the lost in the world. Go make disciples, go make students of Jesus, right? Not just converts, but students of Jesus, right? Jesus says it's right before his ascension in Acts, he says this. But you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Note, our role is witnesses. Here in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, the outliers, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus ascends visibly before the early church. Right? As hundreds gather with him, he ascends. His last words were, wait here. And when my spirit comes upon you, you'll be empowered to be my witnesses. And then you'll do that here in Jerusalem, and Judea and Samaria, the surrounding nations, and then to the end of the world. In the earlier verse in Matthew, we call that often the Great Commission. One of our uh, speakers this last week uh, said, listen, we don't, have, uh, we don't have just some task to do. We have a Great Commission. Like we have been given something great to do. So Jesus has left us, set us on this track of making him known to the world around us, to, to bringing the love of God to a lost world. One of the things that we talked about, I, I did a breakout in a series track called uh, my title was Being Light in Dark Seasons of Life. How are we a light to the world when life isn't exactly the way we had wanted it to go? I got to share about Lisa's story and my wife, if you don't know her, who has been chronically ill and primarily bedridden for the last 15 years, who has been in bed. And, and if I know of anyone who has an opportunity to just say, listen, man, I've got too much going on to be a light to the world, uh, that'd be my wife. And yet I got to do a breakout track talking about how she has found ways to be a light to a lost world, to be an encouragement to other women, uh, oftentimes pastors' wives and authors and speakers and, and, and folks that we know. And she has found a way from a bedroom, literally from a dark bedroom, to be a light to the world. Because we're all set on this, this journey. We're all called to this. We're all given the task of enduring and pressing on and disciplining and training in this life to, to press on towards Jesus so that others around us might know the love and the grace of the gospel. Verse 5 again, it says this, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It talks about discipline and chastising. So I want you to hear, the Lord trains or equips or also 
chastises or, or punishes, if you will, like a father to a son, like God trains and loves and disciplines those whom he loves. Like if you are God's, he loves you. And if God loves you, he is equipping you for the life he has called you to. And so if you are here and you are loved by God, then you understand, listen, that I am being trained for time to join this mission of the kingdom. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, or this word can be translated as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, an earth, we have earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we've respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? He says, we understand this. Dad's in the room. You get this. The rest of us hopefully have had dads who loved us and cared for us and poured into us. And I know some families don't, and my family broke up at an early age. I know that struggle too. But we understand the metaphor of a human father wanting to pour into his sons and his daughters, training them up to be adults, training them up to be humans that can live in this world and, and be successful in this world. And so he used that metaphor of a human family. Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, meaning God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Right, that we would be able to share in God's holiness. Now, holiness is not synonymous with perfection. Holiness is, is, more, is better translated as set apart, right? That we would become other than. And so again, this, that we could participate in God's holiness, meaning that we would not be just trapped into the brokenness of this world, but we could live into that otherness, that we could live into God's the power and the peace and the love and the grace of God. And he says, and he disciplines you, he trains you, he, he course corrects you, he works with you that you might participate in all that he has for you. Verse 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The outcome of discipline for me came at the end of 13.1 miles. Running, crossing, and celebrating. And all of a sudden, in that moment, the pain, even in those 13 miles, and, and the pain of the months of training, was worth it. I know at the end of a long season of education, a degree, when you, when you walk across that stage, whether that be uh, a promotion from uh, a kid's grade to another, or when you have satisfied the requirements for an advanced degree and you walk across that stage, all the sleepless nights and all the pain and all the things you endured are worth it. I know that the outcome of, like I said, for the, for the book, there were days where it just blocked out so much time in my calendar. I just wanted to quit. Now, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't even, time was hard. It was really unbelief that this was even worthwhile. And at the end of that, you had to hold a book. Like, it's me. It was worth it. And our faith is so much greater. 
that a life with Jesus is so much more than any silly thing like a dumb book or a race that I didn't win, right? Well, I beat Scott, but I mean, that I didn't win, right? But these things are so much greater. Put a note here for you. Discipline yields an outcome so satisfying that it stays with us for a lifetime. The harder the discipline, the better the reward. And our faith is an endurance that is hard, but the outcomes are satisfying and lifelong. In fact, if I could just edit that, the outcomes are satisfying and eternal. The outcomes last forever. And they are satisfying and rewarding. And I know as parents, I, I, you, you, you try and train your children like, listen, this is the right way. I know it's harder, but the outcome is better. And as adults, sometimes we fall short of that as well. At the beginning of the year, we're going to look through some things, the wisdom that Proverbs gives us, and it talks about this discipline and the satisfying outcome of what discipline provides. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. He's back to that, that, that long-distance marathon metaphor. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not put out of joint but rather be healed. And now he goes on to application. The author goes on to challenge us to things. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so for those of you that are note takers or this is for your community groups, peace and holiness. How will anyone ever meet Jesus through you if you are not in right relationship with others, meaning them, or if your life does not look like your gospel message? How will anyone see the gospel through you if you're not in good relationship with those folks who do not know Jesus, and if your life doesn't match your message, right? No one's perfect. We, begin, we start from the starting point of we're all jacked up and broken. So we start in a place of that, but, but to, have, to say I'm a follower of Jesus must mean it looks like something. I've often used the example uh, of many friends that are vegan or plant-based, right? And if, if someone says they're a vegan and you see them at McDonald's, you have questions, right? Right? I don't get to be vegan just for breakfast. That really is, just means I don't like eggs, right? But vegan means you have an, a lifestyle that is oriented around something, or plant-based is an, an idea that you're oriented around something. I'm neither. I like bacon, just for the record. And so, but that means something. If I said one thing and I lived another way, you would say I'm not, I'm not this. Do our lives look like our message? Are we really followers of Jesus? Not perfect people, but followers of Jesus. Are we, are we followers of Jesus when we do it well and when we do it wrong? But do we look like our message? Verse 15, he says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. He says this, he wants to make sure that no one misses out. The call of God is that every single human is the audience for the gospel. We lose opportunity to share God's grace when we fail to guard the gospel in our own lives. He talks about that root of bitterness, that place where we allow things inside that we don't go to our brothers or sisters or friends or, or whatever, that we go to them and, 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 and let these things rather inside of us harden our heart. And it just says the, the call of God is everyone. And we lose the opportunity to share God's grace when we fail to guard that gospel in our own lives and in our own hearts. Verse 16. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. I'll come back to Esau. 
but it talks about being sexually immoral or whatever. It's really a greater thing. So the last one, character undermining the message. The message of the gospel must first take root in you, in me, in us, transforming our lives before we can call others to, transform, to the transforming love of God. None of us is perfect. And you don't wait to become good enough in order to share your faith with others. This is about making sure you're living what you profess. Theology over the years has talked about an inclusive set and a bounded set or an exclusive set or centered set. None of those words mean anything. I just want to like, make sure I use my seminary dollars up pretty good. But the idea is sometimes they, they have this inclusive, this circle. Inside the circle is Christians. Outside the circle, that's non-Christians. Whatever the circle is, you believe in this, you say this prayer, you've been back, whatever it is, right? That's that bounded set, that idea that inside those boundaries is what a Christian is. And I, I would say that that recently, over the last couple of decades, they've had a different idea. It's, it's really, it's really a, a, a centered set, if you will. And it's this idea that there's Jesus in the center and that people are different distances away. But anyone pointing at Jesus is a follower of Jesus. And they may not be where you are. You may not be where they are. But they are following Jesus. And I would say for this, this is about making sure you're living what you profess, no matter how far away you are from Jesus. If you are pointing that direction and heading that way the best you can, I don't mean trying hard. I mean, I mean learning and loving Jesus, just submitting to Jesus, not like trying to white-knuckle it until something breaks, right? But if you're focused on Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus. And you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be a follower of Jesus to show the love of Jesus to others. That you have to live what you say you believe. That means when you fall short, you have to live repentance visibly in front of people. When you fall short, you, you've got to do that in humility. And really, honestly, when you do well, the glory goes to Jesus anyhow. Let me read that verse again. It says that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he, meaning Esau, desired to inherit blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place to repent. The story of Esau is this. Esau and Jacob are brothers. They're twin brothers. They kind of fight from birth literally on the way out, on the way of being born. Uh, they literally have this rebellion back, back and forth with each other. And Esau is the manly man. He's the father's favorite. And, and Jacob is kind of more effeminate and stays at home with the mom. Eventually what happens is Jacob and his mom conspire together to steal the birthright from Esau and rip off their dad, her husband. And what happens is they take advantage of Esau in a moment of weakness. And Esau is out hunting and he's out and he comes home tired and hungry. And he comes back and what happens is they trick him. They have got amazing food ready. They've got, I just imagine you've been gone. Well, when I got home last night, all I wanted was just to be at home. I was hungry for home food, which could have meant anything in my refrigerator that was not made by somebody else and mass prepared. And I wanted to sleep in my own bed, and I slept in an amazing bed this last week, and I wanted to be in my bed with my wife and home with our stinky dogs. I mean, like, I wanted to be home. And Esau comes back in a moment of weakness, just wanting to be home, and his brother conspiring together with his mom to rip off his father and burn him for his birthright, takes advantage and trades his birthright literally for a meal. And the idea the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, 
Don't take this momentary satisfaction and trade an eternity for it. Don't take, like those mornings where I didn't want to get up and run, I just wanted to sleep another 30 minutes, which was every morning I got up to run. But I couldn't have done this if I hadn't have done that. Discipline is something we use a lot. Martial arts terms, each discipline you use, there are the times where you just go in and you get beat up. Those days come before you do any, do any better. Those times of saving for a home, there are things you give up, things you trade for the goal. Don't settle. I want to go out with my friends and not get a home. See, our faith is so much greater than that. He's saying this. Endure this life. Live the way it's sacrificial, this life. This life of faith is sacrificial. And those who have come before us that have been faithful live that way. And Jesus himself, who came, he endured this life, and he endured a cross. And he suffered on our behalf. And then he calls us. He says, as long as you have breath in your lungs, I want you to follow me that others might be able to see me. Don't trade in a moment to miss out on being a part of the kingdom taking root in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, in fact, if we're really honest, we love you because you first loved us. We have nothing good in us, nothing that you were drawn to. It was your grace and your mercy that allowed you to come and endure it says, for the joy set before you, you endured the cross and scorned the shame. We were your joy. Let it be for the joy of seeing others come to know your transforming love and grace. Let it be for that that we endure. Let it, because, let it be because you endure, that we can endure. Let us look to you because you're the author and the perfecter of our faith. And let us imitate you to the best of our ability. You have placed your spirit in us to cause us to be more like you to lead us towards you. Let us learn to live in that. And let us do so in that great commission that we might lead others to you. Let us make you famous, Jesus, not ourselves. It's in your name we pray. Amen.